if as a learning business, you're careful with your words and you choose your terms carefully, you hold yourself to standards, whether those are external standards from an accrediting body or just your own internal high standards, then your credentials can be viewed by the market as truly valuable and they will stand out from other offerings. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today in episode 295, we want to talk about the value of credentials because credentials strike us as being of, well, more value than ever given the current state of things. And by the current state of things, we're thinking of macro trends that you've probably heard us mention before. We'll mention four specifically now. First, changes in work. People are working longer. Retirement is less of a standard practice and more kind of a legend of old these days. And then over the course of our longer working lives, we're changing jobs and careers more frequently. The average tenure of an American worker was just four years. And that statistic is from before the Great Resignation. So folks may be changing jobs even more frequently at this point. And these changes in work mean more people need more lifelong learning than ever before, and they often need a way to show that they have the skills and knowledge employers need. And of course, credentials are a way to do just that. So that's one reason. And then second, there's been tremendous growth in access to the internet and of course to devices like smartphones. And you know, probably just as important, uh, if not more important, is that the internet that folks now have access to is better. So 5G is becoming widely available, even 10G is possible on cable. And the combination of portable devices and good internet makes anytime, anywhere learning more possible than ever. And of course, learning, training, review, and test prep are often needed for an individual to attain or maintain a credential. Then third, is the surge in content. There's just been a huge content surge. It's happening in part because of the growing access to the internet and devices that you just mentioned, Jeff. And the internet and device access empowers individuals, not just organizations, but individuals to create and share information. And that means there is a ton of content available to learners, more added each day, each hour, each minute. And so the surge in content has really upped the need for helping learners find credible, relevant content. Credentials can be a way for learners to demonstrate that they know the credible, relevant content and or to help them find that credible, relevant content that once learned will allow them to demonstrate they know something of importance and value. And then, of course, COVID is the fourth and last of the macro trends. We can't go without mentioning that. The pandemic changed so much about how we live, work, and learn, and has accelerated changes that were already happening in the adoption of technology. And for example, Salisa, you already mentioned uh, the great resignation when you were talking about changes in work, and it's easy to, to see or imagine how the skills or knowledge needed by workers may change. You know, more emphasis on the ability to collaborate online, for example, or communicate effectively via email. 
or virtual presentation skills. And those are skills that can be credentialed. You can imagine, for example, a, a certificate in virtual facilitation skills. And actually, I'm guessing we don't have to imagine it. I'm pretty sure that there are probably uh, certificates in virtual facilitation skills that exist. But I will say that one real-world example I can mention is the COVID-19 Certificate in Prevention and Safety Excellence for Senior Move Managers. And that is from the National Association of Specialty and Senior Move Managers. So these are the people who help relocate older adults. And of course, they've had to adapt and change how they worked in response to the pandemic and the association NASSMM saw the need to support its members and they saw the potential for a certificate program that helps those taking it learn how to protect their clients, their crews, their coworkers, and be especially mindful of the vulnerable populations they serve, the elderly, those with health deficiencies that make them more susceptible to viruses like COVID-19. And so to recap, always good to recap a, a list like that. The, the four macro trends we mentioned are changes in work, the growth of access to the internet and devices, the surge in content, and the pandemic. And again, we mentioned those macro trends because we think they contribute to an environment where credentials offer more potential than ever to individual learners and workers, to employers, and to the organizations like learning businesses that are offering the credentials. We're grateful to Bench Prep for sponsoring the Leading Learning Podcast. Bench Prep is an award-winning learning platform purpose-built to help learners feel confident and prepared to take difficult entrance, certification, and licensing tests by delivering an intuitive, efficient, and engaging study experience. Bench Prep helps you accelerate test prep revenue growth by offering the tools you need to create market-ready products and data to improve your content and understand learner behavior. Many of the world's leading associations, credentialing bodies, test providers, and training companies trust Bench Prep to power their online study programs, including ACT, the Association of American Medical Colleges, CFA Institute, CompTIA, GMAC, McGraw-Hill Education, AccessLex, and more. More than 8 million learners have used Bench Prep to attain academic and professional success. To discover more, visit leadinglearning.com slash benchprep. We've been talking about the opportunity we see for credentials in the current moment, but to really dig into the potential value of credentials, we have to be clear about what we mean when we say credential. Yes, and we need to be clear because really there's a lot of sloppiness in, in how these terms get used and, and that leads to confusion. So we'll take a little time now to define some key terms and we'll start with credential itself. Credential is the umbrella term. Yes, and there's a lot under that credentialing umbrella, including non-learning related credentials. So think of passwords, identification documents, security clearance, power of attorney, those are all credentials. Now, you know, given the the nature of the Leading Learning Podcast, we're not going to focus on those non-learning related credentials, but we wanted to mention them briefly because they make clear the value or potential value of credentials. Credentials get you access to something that otherwise would be off limits or at least harder to reach. Right. And I like that analogy a lot. And, you know, just as with non-learning related credentials like passwords, 
learning related credentials are primarily about access, like you're saying. So, you know, one very common example of this is job descriptions that list among the requirements, a bachelor's degree in X, whatever the, the, the topic is. And academic degrees and diplomas are well known types of learning related credentials. Academic degrees include an associate's degree, a master's degree in biology, a, a PhD in comparative literature, something I aspired to once upon a time. And diplomas, of course, include high school diplomas or GEDs. And then another term we'll touch on briefly is licensure. Licensure is the only credential that is required for an individual to practice or operate legally within a jurisdiction. And in the U.S., that jurisdiction is usually a state. So examples that you might be familiar with include a licensed real estate agent or an LPM, a, a, an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. To become licensed, an individual usually has to meet eligibility requirements, which might include things like years of work experience and also pass an assessment. And only governmental agencies can confer licensure. And we're not going to focus on academic degrees or licensure as uh, those aren't the domain of learning businesses, but we wanted to mention them as they are quite definitely important parts of the overall credentialing landscape and they're important terms to understand. Where we do want to focus is on the kinds of credentials that learning businesses can and often do offer. We'll start with certifications and certificates, and we're going to start there both because these types of credentials are mainstays in the portfolio of many learning businesses and because certifications and certificates often get confused, maybe because they sound so similar. Yeah, they may sound similar, but uh, they are quite distinct and they serve different purposes. So we want to explore those differences. But before we can do that, we need to unpack the term certificate a bit. Now, one type of certificate is a certificate of attendance or participation or completion. And in our opinion, you know, those types of certificates offer low to, to no value. All someone really has to do is show up. They don't have to necessarily learn anything. Another type of certificate is an assessment-based certificate, and an ABC offers higher value, or at least potentially offers higher value, because it validates learning. With an assessment-based certificate, the focus is on two things. One, providing education or training to teach an individual something specific, and that's defined by learning objectives or learning outcomes. And then two, assessing the individual's attainment of the learning outcomes. And now by contrast to certificates, the focus of certification is on assessing an individual's current knowledge, skills, and or abilities. So that first part you mentioned, Salisa, providing education or, or training, that's not baked into a certification. Rather, a certification focuses on the assessment piece and determining whether an individual currently has the necessary knowledge, skills, or abilities to do X or Y, whatever the focus is. A certification usually also has ongoing requirements. So once an individual is certified, they usually have to do some things to maintain that certification. And it's important for them to fulfill those ongoing requirements, which are often things like continuing education, because certifications can be revoked. Now, certificates, on the other hand, can't be revoked. They're issued and done. 
Another distinction is that certifications result in a designation for the individual, while certificate programs don't. So certified association executive or CAE, for example, or CPD, certified professional in talent development. CPTD. CPTD, sorry, like you gotta, you gotta get those acronyms right with the, uh, the designations, very important. So certified professional in talent development or certified financial planner. Those are all designations that come from certifications. And we want to be sure to note here that Mickey Rops has been very helpful to us over the years in better understanding credentials. And these certification versus certificate distinctions we've just been going over are in line with her work and, and distinctions that she makes. And, and what she does, her work, those distinctions that she makes, it's all based on her really deep familiarity with standards um, from from ASTM, from ICE, from ISO, and NCCA. We're going to link to some of those um, specific requirements and standards in the show notes for this. There are lots of lots of uh, acronyms <laughs> and uh, initials in the, and in the certification. Numbers, lots of numbers. Lots of numbers. Yeah, yeah. And you know, so basically, those are the standards that are developed and adhered to by accrediting organizations. So those are going to definitely be relevant if you think you want your credential to get that outside stamp of approval that accreditation provides. Yeah. And Mickey, I mean, really is a, a true expert in credentialing. And we were even lucky to, to have her on the podcast way back in the early days, uh, episode 12. She's She's been at our events um, when we've actually done some some consulting with her. And it's always great to, to have her expertise to to bring to bear. So in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 295, we'll definitely include links to several short articles that Mickey's written about credentials that we think are particularly helpful. So to kind of wrap up our discussion of certifications versus certificate programs, we'll note that they serve different purposes. So be sure to keep that in mind. Certificate programs are good when the target audience has a knowledge gap or a skill gap that can be addressed through an outcomes-based training or education program and then be assessed. Certification programs don't address knowledge or skills gaps. They serve to recognize individuals who demonstrate they already have the knowledge and skills within the scope of, of the certification, whatever that is. And so as a learning business, if you're trying to decide between a certification program or a certificate program, you have to be clear about what the program is intended to accomplish. The goals for the program need to be rooted in an accurate and nuanced understanding of the target audience's needs and wants. And as so often the case, it all comes back to marketing. We want to talk about three more types of credentials that are all relevant to learning businesses, namely micro-credentials, stackable credentials, and digital badges. Yeah, we're getting into the buzz soup there. And, and defining micro-credentials is a little tricky, just as defining that other buzzword micro-learning is. Just, you know, micro-learning doesn't necessarily have anything to do about length in isolation. Some people say it has to be, you know, 10 minutes or less, but that really depends 
on the context and sort of what what role that it's filling. If you know, if, if you're trying to do something that would normally be addressed, you know, two day course, then 30 minutes might be an example of micro learning. Similarly, with a, a micro credential, you know, a, a certificate can be a form of uh, of micro credential, um, certainly. But what's usually going to be true about a micro credential is just the, the scope of it is going to be a little bit less. So, you know, you won't be trying to cover an entire body of knowledge or a bunch of different skills. You'll probably be focusing in on, say, one specific competency or, or maybe a subset of a skill set much smaller than what a full-blown certification program might aim to assess. Well, and I'll uh, mention Digital Promise here. Digital Promise is behind more than 450 competency-based micro-credentials for teachers. And so in that example, you know, you think about teachers, they had to get other credentials to be able to teach in the first place. They most likely have to have a bachelor's degree in elementary education if, if they're there in the elementary schools. And so they don't necessarily need to go back to school to earn a master's in education. Some might want to do that. But for others, a micro-credential might be a better fit. You know, they might choose something like collaboration to support student learning in a digital learning environment, which is an actual uh, micro-credential offered by Digital Promise. And that might be sufficient for them because they might be really focused on that specific skill around collaborating with students in that digital learning environment. And so with the micro-credentials that Digital Promise puts out there, educators get access to, to training and information, and then they're assessed. And of course, you know, you might earn multiple micro-credentials and, and put them together over time. And so, you know, stackable credentials, another one of those phrases you'll hear out there, stackable credentials is the idea that separate credentials can, when they're accumulated, lead to something bigger. So they become more than the sum of their parts. And, you know, stacking is a, a logical application for at least some of the micro-credentials that are out there. Well, and to use digital promise again, I mean, they have stacks that collaboration to support student learning in a digital learning environment, along with three other micro-credentials, one focused on communication, one on creativity, one on critical thinking in the digital learning environment. Those four micro-credentials stack up to using technology to support the four C's in the classroom. And then I'll also throw in this idea of laterable credentials. And this is the idea that credentials or stack credentials can then further open up access to additional credentials. So for example, laterable credentials could lead to undergraduate and graduate programs. We'll make sure to include in the show notes uh, a link to a February 2022 article that talks about this laterable concept more. Um, so be sure to check out the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 295. And there's another February 2022 article we'll link to as well. And this one talks about how stackable credentials will change the way bachelor's degree programs uh, operate. And it's talking about how community colleges are really looking at breaking down credentials. So even after six months, a student has a credential to, to show for their effort. So there's a, a reducing tendency, you know, make things smaller and faster. But then there's also an, an additive tendency leading community colleges to add bachelor degrees rather than sticking to associate's degrees. Well, I think that just speaks to how hungry the market is for credentials these days and that it, it can lead to breaking things apart. It can lead to accumulating things together. There's a lot of potential value there. And Jeff, not to pick on you, but I have to think about the fact that um, you're an ABD. 
Yes, indeed. I, I, I bear that acronym, uh, all but dissertation, for those who do not know the uh, <laughs> PhD world, got, got all the way up to defending my perspectives, passing my exams. But I did not write that dissertation because, frankly, I got involved in, in the world of e-learning and learning businesses and, and have never looked back. But boy, it would be nice if, uh, you know, those, those, there was quite a bit of time between the master's so a number and the of PhD, years. <laughs> quite, and quite a bit of effort that got put in. And I do not have any credential other than the, the fake one, ABD, to, uh, to show for it. And, you know, if I'd been able to stack some of that up into something, you know, it might, might have only been valuable to my ego, but uh, even that's worth something. <laughs> Well, so I do think that exactly what we were talking about, this idea that you know, community colleges or other entities that are really breaking things down so that, right, if you do end up stopping out at some point, you still have something of value. You still have a credential that can show a potential employer, show the market that, you know, what you do know and what you can do, even though you haven't gotten the PhD. Yeah, you know, and I mean, as we all know, those kinds of stops and pauses are just, uh, they're part of life. We, we all experience them at different times. So now the, the third and, and final term we want to touch on in this section is digital badges, another one of those buzzy terms. And, you know, in some ways, this is a, a red herring as a digital badge itself is, is not actually a credential. A digital badge is the representation of a credential. But we want to mention digital badges because they are tied to credentials. And the technology that underlies them, the digital part of digital badges, means that there's data linked to the badge that someone, an employer, for example, can ideally click through to learn more about the badge, when it was earned, what was required to earn it, possibly even get to some work or project examples of what that specific learner did to earn the badge. So there's a real value add with digital badges when they're done right versus a paper credential. Paper credentials aren't easy to share with others. They aren't very visible. And paper credentials also don't have that underlying data associated with them. Yeah, and that's such an important part of, of digital badges that they, they do have that data underlying them. You know, Digital Promise, we'll mention again, you know, they use digital badges to represent their micro-credentials and because those are badges that actually follow standards, and this is an area where standards are important, um, you know, from organizations like Open Badges, you're able to find out what really lies behind any badge that's earned through Digital Promise or any other credentialing organization that's taking badges seriously. Because, you know, a badge isn't just, you know, they, they typically look like they're just a little graphic, you know, you stick it on your LinkedIn profile or you're just on your website or whatever, and, and that's sort of all there is to it. But there, there's way more than that to it. And badges done right have a really, really valuable role to play in this whole credentialing landscape. So that's our look at the world of credentials and what distinguishes different types of credentials from others. But there's a pretty big problem. Yes. And we did touch on it, I think, but it's a big enough problem that it's worth mentioning again. And namely, not everyone agrees on these definitions and distinctions and adheres to them. Uh, you can just tell from our conversation that they can be a, a little bit dicey to figure out and aren't necessarily crystal clear right out of the gate. So there are certificate programs out there where, guess what? Everybody passes the assessment, so not a lot of teeth to it, you know, versus ones where the assessment actually is measuring attainment of specific learning outcomes. 
And there are certifications out there that come, you know, with with recommended training and learning programs really kind of bundled right in. And you're not seeing the sort of separation between the test creator and the training creator that you really need to see in a valid certification program. That kind of stuff is just it's all over the place. Right. So there's the definitions and then there's what people call (laughs) their offerings out in the market. And it is a problem. But as the saying goes, where there's a problem, there's an opportunity If as a learning business, you're careful with your words and you choose your terms carefully, you hold yourself to standards, whether those are external standards from an accrediting body or just your own internal high standards, then your credentials can be viewed by the market as truly valuable and they will stand out from other offerings. The pandemic and the great resignation added fuel to the changes already happening in work and life, the increasing rate of change in technology, and those macro trends that we, that we talked about at the beginning. And all this means that the kinds of credentials offered by learning businesses are much more attractive. These credentials offered by learning businesses tend to have you know lower cost and less time investment to get to a credential versus you know, full-fledged academic degrees, for example. And so if the credentials come at a lower cost, if they take less time to achieve, and if they're aligned with employer needs and the job market, well, wow, then they're hugely valuable. Yeah, and that if is so important. I feel like the alignment with employer needs and and the, the job market, at least in our experience, often isn't done well or or it's even kind of skipped in entirely, or you know, a lot of assumptions can be made. But at, at the end of the day, you know, if a certification or a certificate or any kind of credential is ultimately going to be valuable to a learner, to the person who's going to earn it, it's going to be because that that learner can can do something. They're going to benefit by holding that credential, which usually means that an employer has to value it. Somebody out there has to value it and that is really what's going to create the major benefit for the learner. But a lot of times learning businesses don't go deep enough in in trying to assess that and trying to figure out what is that alignment with what employers need. And I I think an initiative to to highlight right now for, for learning businesses to study is what Google is doing, their whole Grow with Google program, which is basically a, a series of certificates that they've created. They, you know, obviously they are a large employer themselves. They know very clearly what skills and knowledge they need people to have coming in. Many other, you know, tech-oriented employers or employers with tech needs are going to need those same skills. So Google has introduced this series of certificates, and it's interesting. There's a, a site called Class Central that every year runs an annual list of the, of the most the most popular new MOOCs, massive open online courses. And in 2021, I think it was 18 out of the top 25 came from Google. Um, it's this training with certificate that Google has created as part of that grow with Google program. And we'll link to that in the show notes because if you go and look at how they're presenting it, I mean, they're very tuned into the results that the learners are going to get out of this. They're very tuned into the results that employers are going to get out of this. And they make all of that very explicit in, in how they talk about these certificate programs that they've created. Well, and it's interesting to think of too, because the what Google is doing, they have the coursework available on Coursera. I'm pretty sure that's the platform mm-hmm. that they're using. So, you know, that's a platform for those massive open online courses, MOOCs, which were 
sort of felt like you know very trendy thing. I don't even know how many years ago at this point. Sort of seems like they were all the buzz. And now where it seems like it's sort of landed is that really it's the certificates that get associated with those MOOCs. That's where the value is. And you even see that in the business model behind a lot of the MOOC providers, they'll make the content, the course or courses available for free. But if you want the certificate, if you want that validation, that's then going to cost you. Yeah, that really is what clicked for MOOCs in the end, because a, a lot of, you know, the the whole massive open online course thing, you know, all the criticisms around, well, people aren't finishing them, they're too big and impersonal. But, you know, once you start connecting them into credentials, and if you do it well, and if you really align it with the real world and real employers and the, the real needs of, of real people, that's really starting to take off and it's it's really changing the landscape out there. I think a lot of people think that MOOCs aren't really a thing anymore, but they're a huge thing. And, you know, of course, Coursera is getting into the, the degree world as, as well now. I think that there's a lot to, to, to study and learn from there. And I'll just, again, put in a plug for checking out the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 295, because we will link to that Grow with Google initiative, and we do encourage you to check it out. They have also been doing a lot of work to connect um, data around the impact of their certificates. So they can say, our certificate holders earn X more. Right. They're, they're actually tracking that. So it also has that that element that's very interesting to us. So I think to kind of you know wrap up some of what we're saying here, you know, credentials are just really great for the upskilling and reskilling needs that we're seeing currently. They're also good for those new to the labor market. I mean, so credentials in general are applicable to learners of all ages and career stages. You know, not all credentials are going to apply to all people, but you can craft a credential for a particular need or opportunity that you see in your field or profession or industry. And so we want you to be thinking about that. But we do feel like we need to offer a caveat and be clear that we don't believe all learning needs to be credentialed. No, definitely not. I mean, and I'll piggyback you know, for a second on something you just said there, Salisa, around there being good for learners at all ages and stages of, of their career. I mean, one of the things we've advocated years ago, and we'll link back to some of our old writing about MOOCs in, in particular, is that you know, offering a MOOC and offering some certificates, some credentialing around that to people who are entering into your industry or your profession. I mean, what a great onboarding thing for your average uh, trade or professional association to do, for example. But, but like you said, you know, um, not everything needs to be credential and we're not advocating a proliferation of credentials. We don't want it. They used to have the criticism of diploma mills mm -hmm. back in the early days of e-learning. You know, we don't want to see a credentialing mill happening here. But, you know, what we are advocating is, you know, really looking at this current moment with an eye to what credentials are or or, or, or might be valuable to your audiences and, and what you can do to help reduce the barriers they confront when trying to get those credentials. Right. So think through what those barriers are, you know, t time commitment, money commitment, all of those are things that can be barriers. And so when we're talking about the different approaches to credentials, micro-credentials, there are different options there that can potentially help you address those barriers that your audience might be confronting. And so, you know, this whole point that not all learning needs credentialing, that really underscores for us that when and if you do offer a credential, be buttoned up about it. Follow high standards, whether those are your own and or those of an accrediting body, 
and really focus on providing a valuable, meaningful credential that the market needs. As we wrap up this look at credentials, we encourage you to take time for an informal audit. If you offer credentials, do they fit the current moment? So potential things to think about are time and cost to achieve them. Just mentioned that micro credentials could potentially help reduce the time and the cost. Um, Take a look at what requirements you might have in place for existing credentials. If you have certifications, Are the prerequisites that you have in place truly needed? Do folks looking to get the certification really need a bachelor's degree or X number of years experience working in the field? Are the continuing education requirements that you have in place reasonable? And again, go through all that really thinking about what are the barriers for your audience. Yeah, I think that prerequisites discussion is often very fruitful. I know in in discussions at an association board that I serve on as we were architecting a new certification to replace an existing certification, we really took a hard look at, you know, what what prerequisites were really needed because the ones that we had in place before were a barrier and they they were preventing people from from getting into that program. Now, on, on the flip side, if your learning business doesn't currently offer credentials, ask yourself, is there an opportunity for you to pursue one, whether that's on your own or in partnership with another organization, with a corporate partner, with an academic partner? For full show notes and other resources to help you think about your learning business's credentials or potential credentials, please visit leadinglearning.com slash episode 295. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 295, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. And we hope you will subscribe if you haven't yet. Subscription numbers give us some visibility into the impact of the podcast. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Jeff and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search on content for leading a learning business. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 295, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.